welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I'm here with Kyle. Kyle, you are the founder of Dynamis. We are yes. going to dive into that eventually. But I want to start all podcasts. How do you drink your coffee? Not at all. Not a coffee tea guy? Black tea, man. Black tea, okay. Yes. I started with black tea and then transitioned into black coffee. God bless you, man. I am uh, so naturally wired that I, uh, I'm a tweaker on coffee. But ironically, with black tea, it's more caffeine than coffee, but it just mellows me out, to be honest. There's, just getting ready for the day. There's more flavors in tea, too. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah, a, a tea steeper French press coffee snob, so I've yes. experimented with all the tea leaves, and there's some good stuff out there. Yeah, there's a co- have you been to the uh, tea shop on uh, Main Street, Clarence? Tea leaf, is it? Or I don't think so. Tea? It's got like, 70 different flavors of just raw tea you can Paula. buy. Cotton candy. Okay. That's a thing? Just try Yeah. Oh, try it. I try will. it. Root beer is another good one. They got some... There's some what? good ones. They import them, so you can try teas from all over the, yes. the world and stuff. So I'm gonna get that address offline. Got a little bit of everything, but that's interesting because I'm as second I got into ministry, first thing I was told like you were I hated coffee. And like, you're gonna love coffee. Give it six <laughs> months. Within three months, I was three cups of black coffee a day kind of guy, and yes. it's, it's still going. <laughs> See, I do. I could do like five to eight cups of tea a day. Like I'm, I'm caffeine intake all day, no doubt, but. I don't know. Coffee, maybe it'll be like when I hit middle ages or something, you know? Like, like it steeps back into your life it. at some point. Yeah. No pun intended, steeping back in. But. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Although I do love an ice cap from Tim Hortons. Okay. That is definitely my guilty pleasure. I so. want sugar in it. Do they? I'm no, more honestly, like yeah, the, I can do that. I like the coffee, water, beer kind of drinker. Like mm-hmm. not sweet stuff. Just very, just gives me what I want. Yep. I'm I do. I'm guilty for the occasional Mountain Dew. Okay. I'm gonna drink soda. I'm a Mountain Dew guy. Okay, gotta be careful with that yellow six though. Not too much as a guy, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, yeah. All things in moderation, right? Virtualizing men. Every once in a while, though, Mountain Dew kind of hits the spot when you're having a hot dog in the backyard. That's true. That's true. So we're let's just get right into it. Were you yeah. raised Catholic? Yeah, P- predominantly. Yeah. So I guess my like faith story, I would say, you know, there's a popular term like revert, and I would say that. That doesn't really apply to me. I call myself an adult convert, although I was raised Catholic. Okay. So, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, I had definitely a very intense upbringing. Um, You know, my parents uh, divorced when I was two, and so I ended up being the only child. And, um, but they were both, you know, present and very loving, you know. Um, but, But in terms of, like, my faith... Uh, life, like what I was picking up, um, was was all over the map. Quite frankly, like many, if not most, um, you know, divorced children being raised. You know, like you might you go to CCD and you learn one thing, and you come home and you might see different things depending on what you know your family members, your extended family, what's going on. Um, and then you know, mom's on one level, dad's on another level, and and you got to kind of parse all that out. So. Um, so I, I was raised in the faith. I definitely got it, blessed with a very keen intellect. So could understand what was being laid down, but, um, you know, it, it wasn't my focus. It wasn't my focus growing up until really my adult life. I've created the spectrum of you're either in the Catholic family that you are Catholic on paper and you go to Christmas Mass because mom takes you, and then you're the rosary every night at after dinner, Catholic family, where would you, or did depending on which parent you were with, or where would you put yourself on that spectrum? I mean, maybe in the middle, um, 
somewhere, you know, it, basically I was raised by my mom predominantly. Okay. Right? So I was with her and she uh, is hardcore. She has been in the choir since she was a freshman in high school awesome. to present. Awesome. So, yeah. So we parents at church, uh, St. Mary's in Soresville. And okay. so she, I mean, she has given her entire life to the church. Um, you know, always in service. I mean, she lived, we lived out in the country, uh, you know, when I was really young and, uh, for like, I mean, over a decade, I mean, she would take the hour drive one way to choir practice every single week in addition to Sunday mass. So we never missed. And I would say that that was the ultimate seed in terms of my upbringing to, to come home, to be in the faith. Cause it was just, I was always at church, but what didn't really settle, you know, like kind of set in was, um, you know, my mom's not super intellectual kind of like I am. I, I, I very much vibe in that regard. That's more on my dad's side. And unfortunately on, on that side of things, when I would see him, by the time I was in like middle school, early high school, I, I, I call myself a self-proclaimed atheist in high school. Okay. And, and he just kind of went along with that. He just so, respected you as you're 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 an adult-ish. You're you can find your way in life at this point because I'm yeah. And I, I think it was more just because he had his own struggles with faith growing up. Um, you know, there was there was definitely some on the human side of things, some uh, tough messages that got conveyed that I think contributed to the divorce from you know official Catholic entities. Um, so it's and it's you know that's just sin, right? That's human nature. Yeah. So that, that all kind of factored in. And as you know, in this day and age, you always need, uh, like a data driven study to prove common sense or things that are the Bible from time immemorial, right? Like obviously, you know, the man is the head of the house and, um, recent studies have shown that, um, statistically the children gravitate much, much more, uh, to a high percentage of what the dad is doing than the mom. Mm -hmm. And, and that's just, that's just how it is. And so having picked up on my dad's cues, I just kind of thought it was okay for me to kind of go my own way. And, and I obviously now looking back, I, I think that that's not necessarily the best parenting model, but, um, so, so that's what it was by, by high school years. But then I had a kind of a tremendous conversion experience, uh, freshman year of college that planted probably the biggest seed of my life to my eventual completely coming home to Catholicism in my mid-20s. Did your mom take the approach of Augustine's mom when you went that way and just continue to pray for you? Or was there a little bit of a, no, you're going to go, you're under my roof, we're Catholic in this household? How did that kind of shape out in your later high school years before your before your reverb? It's, it's a great question because I don't really remember the answer, to be honest. Okay. So, you know, like some of the, like, cause, which I think speaks to how much I didn't really care back then. Yeah. I mean, I was like that typical, like, you know, like I probably picked up on the vibe that confirmation was graduation Yep, from the church. I don't have to go to Sunday school anymore. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yep. Like we're done. That's, that's been handled. Um, Check so mark I, made mom happy. Got the flowers. Right, and we're good here. Yeah, right. Yeah. That. So I, I don't remember the degree to which my mom handled that. Although I'm sure, knowing her, that internally at the very least, there was. I'm sure she was very distraught by, you know, a coming away from the church and and not having that parental support. I you know. think that model has helped a lot of younger people come back. I've seen a lot of parents who were like, "Oh, you don't want to be." 
Catholic, well, too bad you're going, and that just creates a deeper animosity to the church, and I think it's healthy when you see a parent channel their emotions, like, suck it up almost, kind of like, you know, I'm going to swallow this. Like, Mary held that, Mary in Scripture held everything to her heart. Right. That very, just motherly, just, it's my kid, I'm going to pray for his best intentions, but I'm not going to be Scrooge, because that's not going to get me anywhere. So that's very healthy, I think, of a any parent listening to this should take that to, you know, Absolutely. we're all going to reach an age where we're all going to have kids in high school who are going to have that, you know what, they're going to be hung over on Sunday morning, they're not going to Mass because that's what kids do. And They might, although I was a very good kid otherwise, <laughs> I didn't touch alcohol for a very long time, but, um, yeah. So what, what, what was that, you said, your mo- what was your moment in college? Was it a campus Mass you went to? Was it a, per- was it a girl you met? What was this, what was this college you no. Not even a little bit. Um, no, it's actually something pretty striking. Um, you know, it, I don't know. Actually, I, forgive me for not doing my homework before we started this in terms of who your predominant audience is, if it's Catholics or if it's if it's both and. Because um, depending on the ears that hear it, it's going to hit them differently. But, um, you know, in, in the church, we have kind of two main schools or traditions of uh, really growing uh, in the faith on a mature adult level. And there's kind of like the scholarly route or like the intellect route. And then there's like the mystic route or the school of faith. And, um, without even being in a position to put words to it back when it happened, I was hit, uh, like a two by four, uh, with the mystic route, um, of, you know, there is a God, he does exist He's here and he's present. He's omniscient. He's ever present. Karma like Carthusians, Benedictine, very just. Yeah. Accepting this reality and how do I strike it head on? And Franciscan too. Yeah, I mean the Franciscan and 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 Karma spirituality are so similar. And and Francis of Assisi actually is my patron, so uh, it's really interesting how much he and I ended up having in common as the years went on, but. Yeah, it was, it was basically, um, I was placed cause the school I went to was a, a really like a top school and they picked your classes for you when you started out as a freshman. And so I was placed in intro to philosophy. Um, it was chosen for me. Um, if the viewers can hear, that's my cat saying hi to you. Um, <laughs> that's wants to come visit dad. That's all he wants. Yes. So in college, you... You talked about taking the mystic, the mystic route. It sounds like was that due to was there a religious community on campus, or was this just in a book you picked up, or how did this hit you by like a two by four? So, um, it was a very secular campus, and there was no uh, religious overtones in my day to day whatsoever. It was really just kind of. Um, kind of a progression from being exposed to philosophy. I went from probably not even knowing what that word meant. There was no like philosophy courses in my high school. Um, you know, learning about philia Sophia, the love of wisdom and all these things. And just being waterboarded almost with this like abundance of information about all these different philosophical schools of thought crammed in this one course and then kind of being thrown into almost what I would call a spiritual schizophrenia, right? Like having all of these haphazard ideologies that are not congruous with each other and um, 
being left with filling the blanks for these tremendous life questions, right? Like, what is the meaning of life? Why do I exist? Why am I here? What are we all doing? What is our end? What is our telos? Poorly made American college movie. Oh yeah, like oh my gosh, what is the purpose of my existence? Oh, it's and it's (laughs) and and a poorly defined curriculum, right? That basically fueled it because. It, it was so, it wasn't chronological, it wasn't systematic, it wasn't, um, it, it wasn't holistic, it was just this uh, slipshod, um, you know, just like like a jigsaw puzzle and the pieces don't fit. And that's how you get more conformity if people don't, can't put the puzzle together, they're just more likely to trust the, the institution or whatever it may be, and I think we're seeing the side effects of that. American educational system. Well, yeah, and, and, and not just America, but, yeah, a bit, the critical thinking is such a crucial skill that we need to pass on, and uh, depending on, you know, what you're being fed, you may or may not get that, but, so I was, you know, just ha- had this all thrown at me, and I had to kind of figure it out, and so I went on a uh, soul-seeking journey, and uh, kind of, uh, I, I, I said, well, heck, I... As a concession to God, I threw my confirmation Bible in the bottom of one of my boxes when I moved in. I guess I'll go check that out, you know, look for answers there. And I started on page one of Genesis and and just started reading. And then I started having these profound, um, kind of like a weeping sesh. I just started weeping. I had this tremendously deep communion experience with the creator and realized that what I was reading is the truth. And that I was learning about the beginning of all existence, which is just such a profound thing. And, and it touched me in such a, a, an immense and kind of bizarre way. So meta-analytically, I'm looking at myself as these things are happening and questioning that too. Like, why am I having this visceral, emotional experience? This is kind of weird. I'm not like a, a schmuck. I'm not like a, a sappy guy. And so then it, it just... it. it fueled me to keep going and and then it just it ended up uh it, it turning into a a extraordinary experience that where i basically experienced that god exists that's the best way i can put it without taking this entire podcast on that moment alone okay so you're 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 in college you're you're something leads you to this like just this level of thought, which I, I think is unique because a lot of people don't reach that level or even at that age. Like I, I and I, I've said for a while, we've got away from teaching philosophy. And yes. Why? Why, why is it like, it, it's, it's so healthy to question those things. You hope that they find the answers in the truth that we profess, but even if they right. don't, the fact that we shouldn't discourage, it's good to see that, you know, I, I don't know whether people encourage you or discourage you, but it's nice to know that ultimately you just pursued this. So what was your goal going out of college? Like, you obviously had a major, you were declared at some point. Like, what was right. your... So you found this, you're in college, what was your next step? I had no idea. Okay. It's actually kind of a mess, because um, St. Teresa of Avila kind of talks about this experience that culminated that I ended up having, and um, it ends up actually kind of creating a bit of a, um, how do I say it? You're just disheveled. The soul is disheveled for a little bit after that because you go from having a kind of a union with God to coming back to earth 
and um, needing to uh, work with that and and figure out what 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 God's calling you to. So to answer your question quickly, I would say it took me quite a bit of time to figure that out okay. because I wasn't even able to define my terms. Yeah, you're really trying, really, really trying to set everything straight before you jumped into something you didn't want to do. Well, in one sense, I think that there's a lot of wisdom in, you know, if you don't know what you're doing, then maybe you shouldn't do it. Like, make sure that you, you know, I mean, that's, that's not a, that's not a hard and fast, right? Like you have to have faith and you need to trust in the unknown sometimes as well. But, um, when it came to that component of my life and me being able to try to understand how that fits in with everything else, I mean, how do you go from just all right, I'm going to this computer school because I think I like video games because I'm 17 years old taking an SAT and, I, yeah. and I'm told to figure out what you want to do with the rest of your life and all right, I guess this is what I'll do. And then all of a sudden God comes knocking and directly lets you know like, hey, by the way, I exist. Hey, I'm here and I don't want you doing this so now you need to figure what else because I'm not going to yeah. tell you but I'm going to make you figure it out because I'm God and I can do that. Well, it wasn't even necessarily don't do this. I didn't get like a locution with like words um, coming to it direct but it was more just like there's so much more out there. What are you going to make of your life? Are, are you familiar with St. Teresa of Avila's seven room theory? Seven Is that the seven mansions? So, yeah, it's just you like we have to pass through these seven stages of life until the seventh door you open, and that is eternity. Absolutely. And I feel like what you're speaking to is almost like everyone is either the doors open and you are bricking it, and you refuse to walk through to the next room, or you put an extra lock on the door. And I feel like college has, without saying it that way, people you know you you find yourself in one school or the other. Here's this great opportunity to delve into the truth or something new or find something, and I'm not jumping through that. That light is way too bright. I left my sunglasses at home. Right. Or there's the, I'm going to put an extra lock on this because I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I'm just going to suppress these weird thoughts I'm having about philosophy, and I'm going to get my accounting degree and go live in the suburbs with my four kids because it's a lot easier just to do that. And I think help the church needs to do a better job at, like, attacking philosophy from a younger age. And, like, we can go into a rabbit hole about poor catechetics, not only in just, like, the liturgy and scriptural sense, which you dropped the ball, but we don't teach these things in faith formation. And you know what? In confirmation, you're in 10th or 11th grade. That In a year, you're going to be told, pick what you want to do for the rest of your life and sign on the dotted line. Right. We really should address, let's, you know, let's, let's really dive into this. You need to go through that door. You need to ask yourself these questions. Do not be scared because you're wondering why you're here. Well, there's so much that could be said about the different different ways that that conversation could be taken from, from what you just mentioned between what St. Teresa of Avila kind of laid out to the state of the church today. And I, I personally can't really speak to that too much because I don't have the um, the vantage point that you have in your role in, in youth ministry to know the status of confirmation nowadays. I, I only know what I went through growing up. And, and that was interesting. And, and, and much of it was kind of, you know, my fault in terms of not being as engaged in it as I had mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. But the, there's other things that I noticed looking back, like, for example, you know, like, unfortunately, my mom had to give me a bunch of babysitters because she's a single mom doing everything on her own to make ends meet. I mean, we had a very, you know, like poor upbringing, everything else. We, we, we worked hard for everything. And, um, 
you know, I had a babysitter that also was a CCD teacher where I went for confirmation, and I, just, there were Ouija boards laying out at the home during the day. And now I look back on that, I'm like, hmm, that's not good. It yeah, was, that's that's like very contradict. Yeah, that's like, poor catechesis coming from someone that's volunteering for a very foundational role in in, in a young person's life, right? So I mean, you, you, of course, you know, anybody can pick apart any hypocrisies you see along the way because we we were quite frankly all fall short of the glory of God. But uh, going back to the St. Teresa of Avila point, yeah, I mean. You can put locks on it, or you can just, like I was, I not know, like not even be able to define the terms yet to know the blueprint of sanctity to move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, but therein, too, you need to be careful because it's not all about intellect. You know, like some people make everything or like ministry about like, you know, scholarly, like the scholarly route, but quite frankly, that's actually the lesser of the two routes. Yeah. And because God is simple, right? Philosophy 101. And um, you know, the, the mystic route, uh, objectively defined is, is kind of the route of union. It's, it's an actual God experience. All because someone doesn't understand Aquinas doesn't make them a bad Catholic. And I would love no. to hang that from a billboard on the 190 because that's such <laughs> this, and you see it in higher education, right. why are you telling me someone's unqualified to get a master's in theology or to serve in a public ministry role because they don't understand Anselm, Augustine, Aquinas, we can go on and on, Aristotle, right. Plato, we can go through the rope. That yeah. I don't personally care. If that person has the heart for ministry, the zeal to go out there and do it, is not afraid and understands where his faith is rooted, that's pastoral ministry. And stop, God is this, yeah. stop tying everything back to whether or not they understand the Summa. Because and, and I love Aquinas. I read a ton of the Summa. I've taken classes on the Summa. I understand it enough to pass Theologia the course. or Contra Gentiles? Ooh. That's a good question, because I'm not too sure. It was probably Theologiae, if you had to, if you had to guess. That's his his magnum opus, his summa cum laude, his his greatest work. But I've read excerpts of all of his work, so okay. I guess where it's confused. Like I haven't read anything cover to cover. So I guess well, Contragentius is a phenomenal philosophical exhortation about coming to an understanding of God by reason alone. And that's and this is by the way just a proof that God has a sense of humor because I went from having this profound experience and and it taking better part of it decade to truly understand it and it was really ultimately the blessed mother came into my life and she like what eight years of studying every major uh, world religion in existence that I could get my hands on and again trying to like create this jigsaw puzzle understanding of reality and put it all together kind of almost like a new age trapping right like this 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 fallacy that God is at the top of a mountain and there's more than one way up the mountain uh, that's not true, right? Narrow is the gate that leads to life. And, you know, there is no way to the father except through the son. And after trying to like reconcile, um, you know, like let's, and, and a lot of what I was learning was talking to people directly. It wasn't just like opening books. Like I was, I met thousands and thousands of people on and off my campus. I talked to everyone about everything. Mm-hmm. And and really profoundly, you know, got an understanding of humanity and, and anthropology through that. Um, you know, I spoke with so many Muslims and and understood that depending on who I talked to, some said that you know they they believe that Jesus never really died on the cross, or that it like was swapped out with uh, Simon of Cyrene. Depending on these different schools of thought that are even within Islam, but the point is, is that they don't think that Jesus actually, you know, that that what Christianity claims is true is true. 
So eventually I had to come to a realization that uh, the principle of non-contradiction being what it is, the building block of basic logic, um, quite frankly, you know, like I, I love my Muslim brothers and sisters. I love my Christian brothers and sisters. It's almost like I was like, like a transcendent referee when I wasn't, you know, posting a flag in a camp back then. Yeah. And I'm like, I love all of you. And the I love spiritual you. orphanage. Yeah. I love, uh, like, every, like, I love my Hindu friends, my Buddhist friends, my atheist friends, my agnostic friends, all of them. Like, and, 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 and that's one thing that was so incredible by having that God experience that I, I, charity was written on my heart. So I, I, willing the good of another was just kind of a given, but it's like logic came knocking and it was like, well, if you really love these people, like, uh, <laughs> if these people are saying this is what happened on the cross and these people are saying something completely contradictory is happening on the cross, one of them is right and one of them is wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, sorry, and we folks. need to get to the bottom. Of you the right, and it's and now it's like a mystery. Like I got to solve this, and so and, and that was kind of the journey. But like I said before, with the Blessed Mother, once she came into the picture, eight, nine, ten years of doing that after having an initial God experience, and me just parsing this out with the natural light of my own reason, right? Because that's as far as philosophy can get. She came into the picture, and she just. She cleared the whole, she leveled the whole playing field in an instant. She just, and, and it was obvious that the Catholic Church is the one true church and that that is where I was destined to be as an adult, as a mature, responsible individual taking responsibility for not only my beliefs, but for what is objectively true. Do you ever wrap around the thought process of, the one thing a Catholic desires in life is to know God. And have you ever wrapped your head around the, the, process, the, the concept of we will never achieve our only goal in life until we die because the finite ability of the human mind to understand God in this life is never going to be feasible until we encounter him in the next? Well, we know that's true, right? The, the apotheosis of St. Thomas Aquinas mm-hmm. points to that. So many different lives of the saints point to that. Um, like that almost, like almost wants you to keep searching. It's almost like a healthy search, like, without getting complacent. Like, I, like, I've reached that level of, I'm not going to change religions, but I've definitely read more philosophical schools of thought. I wouldn't say other religious schools of thought, but I'd say philosophical. I'm like, okay. well, I only want one answer in life, and I know I can't get it until I'm dead, so I might as well do something well before I get to that point. Right. Well, it's like... <laughs> might as well occupy my mind somehow, because I have to be here for a certain amount of time until my days are numbered. I might as well be productive, almost, in like a... Right. And we can't plateau, right? It's a spiritual truism that if you are not advancing spiritually, you're progressing. Mm-hmm. There is no middle ground. There is no, like you know, pausing in flux. Oh, gosh, the people who say, like, oh, I go to Mass on Sundays and pray my rosary every day, so I've reached my spirituality. It's like you... No, that's, like... That's unhealthy. Like, you really need to, like, try something else. Like, pick up up John of the Cross. You know, read the Ascent of Carmel and get back to me about your spirituality, because you're going to realize very quickly you are not where... Where you could be. I well, shouldn't say where you should be, but where you could be. And it's and it's tricky, right? Because depending on who your audience is, you always have to meet people where they're at, but you can't leave them where they're at, right? Jesus taught us that with the woman at the well. But, you know, and, and yes, I thought about what you mentioned. Like, you, you don't want to... To a certain point, you're never going to fully get there in this life, yes. But you don't want that to become an excuse to become complacent. 
place. And I think that's like where, where we're lobbying, right? Sandy yeah. Austin, like mm-hmm. he was trying to parse out the Trinity, like to understand that mystery. And then like some boy who was probably an angel, like, you know, was pouring water into a hole in the sand in the beach and, and Augustine like scoffed at him like, well, you can't do that. That's silly. And the boy turned around like, hey, yeah, well, you're trying to figure out the Trinity. So yeah. what are you doing? You know, like, and I'm heavily paraphrasing that story, but like, um, I think that the saints and obviously the church in her infinite wisdom uh, has given us the blueprint of what to look for so that we can take that journey as far as we want to go, whether it's intellectually, you know, we all have one of the greatest things that Vatican II uh, gave us, in my opinion, is is basically the giant green light thumbs up that the universal call to holiness means that we're all called to the nine levels of prayer. As you mentioned with St. Teresa of Avila, right? Those seven mansions, the first mansion is vocal prayer. The second mansion is levels two and three of prayer, mental prayer and effective prayer. And level uh, four is the third mansion, uh, the prayer of simplicity. That's as far as you can get naturally with prayer. You can affect those on your own. And, And traditionally, you know, you have to go on that trajectory upwards. Level two, mental prayer being the doorway to the upper seven levels of prayer. But then it gets really interesting with mansions four through seven because that's when you're getting into the mystical prayer. You can't affect it your own, uh, by, on your own. You have to dispose yourself, your soul, to a certain degree to where God can continue to move into you and through you. And you get your, you know, your contemplative prayer, your prayer of quiet, your prayer of union, your prayer of uh, ecstatic union or conforming union, as it's called, the eighth level. And then finally, that ninth level of mystical marriage. And that is everyone's goal in this life. No matter who you are, no matter what faith you were raised in, we are all called to come to the fullness of truth and we are called to the ninth level of prayer in this life. That is church teaching. And and some people kind of take for granted what Vatican II said about, you know, we're on the universal call to holiness. That's our quest. What people might not realize is that really St. Francis de Sales back in, I think, the 1500s was kind of one of the OGs of when he came out with Introduction to the Devout Life. That was like the manual for the laity. He was an early proponent in the church centuries ago to say the laity can reach those top five levels of prayer. Yeah. You know? Every Catholic. Everyone can. There was almost a clericalism, as the Holy Father has mentioned, that made it so, like, there was a, a belief in the church that was very popular until the mid-20th century that, you know, the laity get the first four levels of prayer and the clerics get the top five levels of prayer. But that's never been true. No, 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 no. And then, but that's poor catechesis even then. Or lack of understanding, maybe right. not a poor catechetics. But, and, yeah, and that's and that's why you got to be gentle, be people where they're at, because unfortunately, like, you know, a lot of people aren't getting exposed to the fact that you know, if you if you pull out that infinite treasury of the church and you pull out these like nuggets of, of, of immensity, like you know, like Saint Alphonsus de Liguri, the doctor, the moral doctor of the church, he said, if you are not daily, if you are not regularly practicing mental prayer, level two, which is the doorway to the upper seven levels, if you are not practicing that daily, barring an extraordinary grace, you are going to fall into mortal sin. Mm-hmm. You just will, and it's like. That's one thing that I love about uh, Bishop Michael William Fisher, our new bishop. You know, I, I had the great honor of uh, singing for him uh, at the first mass that he had ever been to, other than his his installment mass. The first one open to the public because obviously things were more restricted with COVID at the time, regulations. 
And, you know, he made a point, he makes a point, I've heard numerous homilies of his, to really emphasize the importance of mental prayer, daily mental prayer in, in the life of everyone, mm-hmm. you know, throughout this diocese. So we've all been called that by our spiritual leader, and, and it's a breath of fresh air to hear that. Because those are the kinds of things that people can just tap into that, even in a simple, mystic way. There is a possibility that you are going to have an intimacy with the Lord that you're not necessarily going to get in books. So totally just going to take this to the dynamist level now because I really want to get into ministry. Yeah. I'm going to propose this question. I don't know if it's the best worded way to put it. You, I'm, we, we're at the point in your life where faith is now real for you. This is something you want to do. Totally. Was dynamist the product of you found nothing in a parish to reach that? Or is this after you found your parish, dynamist was the product of you wanting to go further? If you had to put it into a school, which one would you say? Well, it's neither, but I would say the latter is the closer to, to what it was. I mean, um, so so just for context for the viewers, um, as as Jonathan mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, I'm, I'm the one of the co-founders of this Dynamis Young Adult Ministry, and it's uh, it's just that. It's a young adult ministry. It's by young adults in the Buffalo Diocese, age 18 to 39, for the entire Buffalo Diocese. And really, the original vision uh, came from Bishop Malone, so... Uh, and, and then, you know, we as young adults just actualize it. So um, in terms of me coming into the fullness of the faith and then finding, you know, being nourished by a home parish, mm-hmm. that was already in place before Dynamis came into my okay. life. So those are kind of like independent uh, strains, if you will, of my faith journey. But when it comes to the Dynamis life, I mean, it's it was just, you know, the term, and it's, you know, you can call it a cliche, but the term that defined my stumbling upon this calling from God uh, very, very clearly through so many signal graces is, you know, that he doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And uh, I had very little ministry experience. I mean, again, I'm the guy that that grew up like, uh, you know, punk rock. You know, I don't even, I'm an atheist because I think it sounds cool. Like I was really just an ignorant idiot kid that had no idea what I was talking about in that regard. But like to okay, you need to help souls towards a deeper understanding of their faith life and to take it more seriously and to, um, to, to gain union with our Lord. And right? we, we, it's both very obvious to both of us that our generations are very distant from the church. Like a lot of this nuns, as they're the calling nuns, it, yeah. are coming out of our two generations. We're not far off in age. Right. Um, now that you have kids of your own, very young, so re- sure. recently, did this call become even more real to an extent of like uh, my generation's already at like 40% nuns, my kids two generations away. What the heck is it going to look like for, for them? Sure. You know, it's, I I don't think that I was thinking specifically about my children and how they're going to be raised with being involved in the dynamist ministry. But I do think that that, that all relates of course, in the sense that, the more exposure that you have to leading souls to Christ and the more experience you get and the more you realize through the inevitable failures that are going to come along the way and, and the trials and tribulations and successes and failures and highs and lows and all of that, that learning experience that you get, the fact that every time it's, it's us, it's probably going to fail. And every time it's the Lord, it's, it's bound to succeed. And, and to just get better at that and to, always remember along that entire journey uh, 
why you do what you do, the importance of, of not only uh, working out our own salvation in fear and trembling, but to be there for, for everyone and to, to have each other to lean on because we are one body. You know, no one's an island here. Um, of course, that ends up uh, ringing true generationally as well. Do you do you feel like these kind of movement? I'll, I'll call it a movement because it really is a movement. Like there, there is a regeneration, a reverb of young adults yeah. at because of your work, and that can't be underspoken to. And do you think this is the future? Relational ministry needs to come back. The church was founded on apostles who just walked with Jesus and ate meals and chatted on hillsides. We got so far away from that when the institutional medieval Western culture pinnacle into what we are now. Do you think this is the future? I think that it's a way, right? Okay. There's so many different ways to express Catholicism, the plurality in, in theology, as we call it, which is which is itself a breath of fresh air. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, I mean, I can just speak anecdotally saying that there has been tremendous success. I mean, depending on who you talk to out there again, right? Like it's not about checking a box, you know, it's not like, okay, now people are praying daily rosaries. You've done it. Now to be fair, that's is tremendous and all glory to God. It's all him at the end of the day. But, um, you know, St. Louis Marie de Montfort said very clearly that, you know, kind of one of the closest things we have to Catholic predestination, right? We're not Calvinists, but is seeing somebody pray that daily rosary because there's there's grace that works through that. So it is a it's a good thing. It's a sign. It's a sacramental of uh, you know. It's a sign that that something is good there. But that's just one thing. There's so many other um, avenues, right? Like we uh, we have a, a bunch of people in the ministry that pray the daily office. You know, mm-hmm. myself included, of course, as the as the lay leader. Um, and, you know, going back to St. Alphonsus uh, Liguri, he stated that uh, a daily office is worth a hundred rosaries. A hundred rosaries a day. Yeah. And no one's trying a hundred rosaries to, to, to do the breviary. Right. Yeah. I think Padre Pio, when he was at his best, I mean, sometimes he would do like 16 a day. I've, I've come close to that. It's, it's usually just during, you know, Lent. But... Um, it's, it's not easy to do that, but a hundred rosaries a day. And, and someone might think like, wait a minute, what? Like if you're praying like a, an office for the lady, for example, like the little office of the blessed Virgin Mary, which is the most popular one out there. It's, um, you know, even the crusaders were praying that, uh, it, it goes that far back. It's, it takes less time than a rosary. Right. Yeah. So logically it's like, how could this be that much more efficacious? Well, the reason is because it's considered public prayer. It's liturgia 2.0. When you pray the office, whatever version it is, you are tapping into the liturgy, and and that public prayer is is kind of plugging into this powerhouse of what's going on, the living prayer throughout the entire church. Whereas you know, like a, a rosary or any other uh, private prayer is just that it's private, so it's on a different level in terms of its efficacy. But so so to answer your question, like, is this the model? Um, it's, it's a model and really all it is, is a, it's an, it's the new evangelization, which is Bishop Malone's original vision. It's, it's a re-evangelization. It's a reinvigorating of Catholics to, to take their faith more seriously and, and And tapping into John Paul the Great, the new evangelization. He was the first one to put a mass on television. I mean, you know, that's, 
awesome to see that that's finally being the fruits of that are finally being being brought forward. But what right. does an average Dynamis Knight look like? Sure. Well, it depends on the night. So there's there's multiple facets to it, but um, probably the most consistent and um, and ongoing would be you know we have a biweekly men's night and a biweekly women's night, um, where you know from as of now as of this recording about like six thirty to nine thirty at night you're looking at um, there's a free meal always um, so you're getting physically fed and then there's catechetical video learning about the truths of the faith. So you're getting spiritually fed. There's a time period of discussion. And we take the Jesuit approach for that. You know, it's everything is on the table. Let's put everything on the table and just see what sticks, right? Like what made sense? What didn't make sense? Um, you know, because we're you're you're you want to reach, you know, maybe the intellectuals in the group, but then there's people that that aren't and yeah. never will be, right? We also have to uh, make a nod to that small but real percentage, like the St. John Vianney's of the church, that aren't necessarily ever maybe going to be proficient at mental prayer. St. Joseph, Joseph Cupertino graduated the third grade at 20 years old. Yeah. He was ordained a priest illiterate. Which, I mean, they'd reach, much reach those kinds of saints again, because we'd probably let a lot slip through the cracks. Right. So no, no, you know, child left behind, you know, to... To channel our inner George W. Bush, right? Yep. No, no child of God left behind. Um, everything's on the table, and uh, including what made sense in the video, what didn't. What did we agree with? What didn't we agree with? Yeah. And and greatly encourage every single aspect of what did someone get out of this, um, because w that's the only way that people are going to be able to come into their own and to self actualize. You know, the faith expression that God has called them to. So we have, you know, all of that is a part of it. Um, and then after a group discussion, uh, we close out the night with a group rosary. And as we know with The Secret of Mary, one of uh, de Montfort's works, The Secret of Mary is that, you know, when you pray a group rosary, you are getting the amount of grace from the holiest person present times the number of rosaries being prayed, so the number of people present. I mean, that is good news. That is good news. And, um, so, so we, you know, make sure everybody knows that, knows that that's another one of those like gems in the treasury of the church to tap into. Mm -hmm. And so then, you know, there's so many different ways that, that we spread that, right? Like people, uh, create rosary devotionals at their home parish, right? Like, Hey, let's get a group rosary going among the congregation before mass starts. Yeah. Which is wildly more popular. My parish has always been a da every daily mass rosary before. Yes. I float for daily mass depending on my schedule now. And I've seen it pick up more three or four people, but that's awesome. That is like, let's do this. I'll show up 20 minutes early. And you've like, got some soldiers from Dynamis that are, that, you know, have a home parish there as well. But I think you might know who I'm referring to. Yeah. And, and, and they, they do, they plant these seeds. He's an absolute trooper. Oh, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, 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 and there's so many people like that. I mean, and, and it's, it's amazing to see what it is that someone gravitates to, what speaks to them. Like you'll have people like, I'm on my 400 and something day of praying the rosary because of dynamis. And it's like, Oh my God, you're like, you're counting. Like, yeah. Like, okay. Like, yeah. That's, that's amazing. You look for the Sharpies on the wall. Yes. And, uh, uh, you would know your punk rock. There's that gr yes. uh, grunge album with the markings on the wall, like in prison. <laughs> and I, I can picture it. Oh my gosh. Oh my it's not a Nirvana album, but it's that generation. But yeah. Oh my gosh. You can picture it. It's been a long, it. long time since I was into that. I mean, I'm into every kind of music, but, um, and yeah. my, my, my first experience with dynamis was your co-ed night. Okay. And that was 
awesome because it was just realizing like it's one thing to have like three or four awesome Catholic dude friends that you pray the rosary with, but totally. that doesn't help you when life you need to move on with life. It doesn't help you when it comes to practical things like dating and all those things. Mm-hmm. And being like, oh, there are women out there who pray the rosary other than the eighty-seven year old at my parish. Like <laughs> I didn't know this was a thing. Please enlighten me on this. And you know, I'm blessed. I knew that, and I've always had very good Catholic Catholic people around. Or you know, I. I want to say around me, but I can spot out a good Catholic person when, you know, I, I can find someone, you know what I'm talking about. There's just that yeah, intuition when you see, you got that, yeah, yeah, that person about him. Like, those cool things with Codenice, you know, we sat around a fire and we just talked about the Bills game and, like, it was normal and it was, like, there wasn't this pressure of, like, oh my gosh, it's all theology for three hours because no. I'm going to leave after hours. Like, you know what? Yeah, we put away a couple beers and talked about football. hundred percent. And sat around a bonfire. But yeah. we also had our time. We watched catechetical videos. We prayed for rosary. Right. It, it was just this healthy combination of, yeah, you know, that you set it aside for the time. You took yourself out of the world and planted yourself in a group of people that thought like you, prayed like you, and wanted to help you like you wanted to help them. Right. And that's healthy. That's so, so, so healthy. And, you know, and it's funny. It's amazing how many times people say to me, like, you know, Dynamist for me is like an oasis because I go to my secular job. I go to my, my daily grind my small V vocation, whatever it is. And in a world where things are just spiraling out of control, there's the moral relativism is running rampant. People don't know which way is right, left, up and down anymore. And to have those opportunities to, to just kind of plug in, just to plug in, to recharge, to refresh um, with the faith and, and with, with companions, with that fellowship, it's, it's huge. And, you know, I'm, I'm always humbled and I have to kind of take, take with a grain of salt sometimes some of the positive feedback that we get. Cause there's, there's always the negative too. Like it's amazing how sometimes people think that they understand what we do when they've never, ever come yeah. or they've, <laughs> they've, you know, like, you know, cause, cause I think that you, maybe if you get like maybe more like lukewarm Catholics or whatever it is, they might be intimidated by, Oh, you're actually going to sit down and pray the rosary. Well, it's like, yeah, we do, but we always make sure to explain the efficacy of why we do that. Yeah, we're going to explain every like every cultish, step to our action. Like, yeah, you just, you got to do these things because otherwise you're not Catholic. Like, no, like there's plenty of other devotionals that you could tap into. And the church is very open saying you don't need to pray the rosary to go to heaven. Right. There are saints that will disagree, but the ultimate church teaching is sure. your salvation is not hang on you praying the rosary ever in your life. Sure. I yeah. highly encourage it as someone who does it on a daily yeah. basis and you do it on a daily basis. Do it. Everyone who's listening, pray your, your rosary, Absolutely. pray your chaplets. But you know what? If you don't want to carve out 30 minutes of that, fine. Well, there's another interesting phenomenon that's taking place too, though. And it's, we get a lot of Eastern Catholics too. Yeah. So they're not Good necessarily people. under the umbrella of the Buffalo Diocese, but as Bishop Illinois made clear, like, you know, we're there for everybody. And people. yeah. And, and, and actually me personally, uh, I think bef- yeah, bef- when I came into my conversion experience in my mid twenties, before I really took up the rosary, I was really doing the Jesus prayer. Yeah. You know, like Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, on the in-breath, have mercy on me, a sinner, on the out-breath. And, you know, that is, from what I've personally discovered, probably the easiest and surest way to fulfill First Thessalonians 5.17, when St. Paul exhorts us to pray without ceasing, right? And, and that goes to another thing that, like, just a lot of Catholics and even... You know, like people that are that are getting catechized might not get the memo that you know the, the theologians of the church throughout the centuries have made clear. Like, fifteen minutes of prayer a day fulfills the divine precept of justice. 
right? Like you have to pray at least 15 minutes a day or else you're not being just towards God. Outside of the liturgy. Right. As, as to fulfill the virtue of justice. But here's, here's the, the, you know, speaking to you never plateau and there's always a higher mountain to climb. Well, the precept of charity is such that you don't fulfill that until you pray without ceasing. And again, First Thessalonians five seventeen. My thing to Jesus prayer I've incorporated into the liturgy for myself because I always never really drew it in anywhere else. After the elevation, when the priest genuflects and everyone bows, that is my Jesus prayer time during oh. mass, and I've just snuck it in there. And and, and I'm I. Some people are the If I don't go to daily mass, I tweak. It's sure. Like someone who doesn't have coffee in the morning. Yeah. Some people have to eat breakfast or they can't start their day. I don't eat breakfast. I have to go to daily mass first thing in the morning. Breakfast. I have to go to daily mass or else my day is just so wildly wrong. Yes. But in the interest of time, I just yeah. want to get into, you sprung up when we were talking about pre-show, talking about what we're going to get into. I said, yeah. favorite Catholic movie. And you're like, yeah. I've got it. So 100%. what is this? 100%. St. Padre Pio, Miracle Man. Yeah, Eduardo Form. Pio, Miracle Man. Form.org. Form. And if you're listening, you can go to form.org for free. Even if your parish doesn't have a subscription, just bum off someone else's because it's free. <laughs> I don't care if you bum off <laughs> St. Saint John Paul II Parish, like you oh, Bum off our subscription. Make my numbers look good. Yeah. If I didn't already have it, I have it today. Yeah, can't recommend it enough. Uh, definitely get your popcorn or favorite food of choice. Oh, they're all three hours. All those good things. This one's three hours and 20 minutes long. So it's long. literally so like an hour and 40 minutes in. You're like, it's like end of part one. I watched the John the 23rd <laughs> one in there. Yeah. The uh, Pope I haven't seen that one yet, actually. I oh, his story it. is just that one and the Blessed Salinas Casey. Okay. He's my patron. Okay. Plus, it's not his Casey. Is my is my is my man. I've he, seen Re- Saint Rita of Cash on there. I've seen. Uh, I've watched all the Pope two ones. Philip ones. Have you seen the uh, Carol, the man to be Pope? There's a two part. There's six. It's six hours long. There's like two versions of it. I've seen both of them. Yeah. So the, the so it's from birth to conclave and conclave to death. They're each okay. three hours long. Yes, I have the I've whole seen six that. hour. Dynamics movie night, I'm telling you. We get a six-hour yes. bender going, oh, we watch it. We've watch, had it before. Watch a six-hour bender, I'm all for it. We've done St. Giuseppe Muscati, yep. right? The doctor, Great story. the doctor. But, but the reason that St. Padre, uh, Padre Pio Miracle Man is definitely my number one is because uh, Padre Pio is like my favorite saint. And I mean, I, everybody loves him so much. He's a powerhouse, there's no doubt. I mean, he's, he's just utterly spectacular. Thank you, St. Francis of Assisi. We wouldn't have him without you. Um, but for me personally, he was really foundational in my conversion, like my, my turning around the corner. You know, I had the, that experience with uh, the Blessed Mother, but just before that, it was discovering this movie. It was a Monday night. I watched it, uh, Bachelor at the time, just chilling in my apartment, and I had such a deep communion, like a like a like a bonding with him through that film and through, you know, the, the actor doing such a masterful job of portraying his life that, um, I had been, it had been on my heart to start fasting, but I'd never fasted yet ever. And I knew as I was getting like converting and coming to church, I'm like, you know, some demons you can't get rid of without fasting. Like, you know, prayer, fasting, and alms giving, like fasting's in there. I got to get that down. And when I finished that film, there was something that happened to me. There was some sort of, I, I just call it a grace. Like there was some sort of a peace that swept over me and like a, a strengthening, like a fortitude increase from, from, from drawing inspiration in his life. And <laughs> I didn't like get the memo on daily mass yet. Yeah. Like, which obviously is, you know, is, is what I strive for all the time now. But, um, I was just like, you know what? 
I'm fasting until I receive our Lord on Sunday. And it was just a water fast from Monday night until Sunday. The first time I ever fasted. And it was, and that, and that, and that became like a, a regular part of my fasting life. And, and developing that true intentional. And, and obviously, you know, for anybody like, there's natural fasting and then there's supernatural fasting. And they're very, very distinctive, different things. You know, like it has to do with your end. If you're doing it to lose weight or this or that, that's not the point. But, um, but you should make sure that you're physiologically in a place to do that. You know, like I don't want to give that advice. You have to look into what it takes to, to take that on from a natural perspective. Yeah. But doing that, um, it's, it's after day three. The first three days can be rough. But after day three, you gain the most profound spiritual insights that you'll ever have. And, you know, I highly recommend journaling. And, you know, the Lord, you know, will will show you your faults. He will show you what, what you need to work on. He will show you how much he loves you. He will show you so many different things. And I very concretely attribute Padre Pio, one of my patrons, to my fasting life, to opening the door to that. So I so I have a very profound affinity with that film for, for that and many other reasons. And it really depicts that well, for sure. Absolutely. So here's what I want to do. Yeah. We're going to conclude, we're going to call this part one. Woo! I feel like there's so much more we have to get into. Yes. We're going to set a date. Okay. I'm going to have you the Lakeview. Okay. We're going to check out the relics we got. We're going to come to Mass. Yes. You're gonna, you've never been, you haven't, you haven't been to John Paul II. No, I, I do not believe so. So we're going to, we're going to make that happen. We're going to get you out to the studio. Okay. Part two. So you've got the story of Kyle and Dynamis. We're going to dive yes. into so much more that I want to dive into, but in the interest of time. Sure. Let's call this part one. Boom. You were interested in Dynamis. All of the links will be in the description. Beautiful. Uh, you can contact them directly on there. Easy website Excellent. maneuver. And you it's can always shoot me a text and I can point you in the right direction if you're interested in joining Dynamis. So yeah. we'll call this part one. Cool. And we're going to dive back into this another time. Thanks so much, Jonathan. Absolutely. God bless.